Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, guys. Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rossi. With me this week's my amazing co-host, Joe Perez. How you doing? I am very confused right now about that that sort of level of energy <laughs> I just threw. <laughs> I'm alright, guys. It's just just messing with Joe. So yeah, Blizzard Watch Podcast is what we do. We're podcasting and talking about Blizzard and its many games. I actually got a lot of questions this week. Uh, you guys are really good about that. I'm, I'm extremely ha- thankful for that. So we're going to try to get into them as quick as possible so we can answer as many as we can. So I'm going to try to do this Blitz style. Burning Crusade Classic is next week. Get hyped. That's yeah. why if you're watching us th- during the stream, you see a little Draenei standing on a hill. That's that's my that's my Burning Crusade Classic character. Um, Corthia Daily Quest gear is going to start at eye level 200, and it's going to upgrade to 233. You don't just upgrade immediately. There are stages. It goes up to 200, 207, 212, and stuff like that. But yeah, it upgrades all the way up to level 233, which is the level that normal mode uh, Sylvanas and I think Nerzul, I'm not sure who the other boss, but those they drop 233 gear. So it'll be, if you get all that gear, you'll be able to go into normal mode rating pretty effectively. Uh, and finally, Overwatch 2 is going to go 5v5 instead of 6v6. Yeah. Uh, Joe, you've played more Overwatch than me because I get sick trying to play it. What do you think about that? Not as upset about it as a lot of other people are. Um, I know that it was it's a hot it's a hot button issue and a lot of people are uh, very upset that it's essentially reducing one role because there was this meta for a very long time of uh, two tanks, two healers and two DPS. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is fine. I think it's it's not going to change things too much. It'll probably actually make maps a little bit easier to balance as well. So I'm not mad at it. I And, and I also think it's one of those things that we can't judge until we actually start playing it, which is the other thing. Yeah. So. All right. Well, those are the news things that we're mentioning. And now we're going to get into your many, many questions. If you have a question for the show, you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. 
with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch, so we know it's the show. Or you can hit us up on uh, Discord, our Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel, or our Q Questions channel. Almost all of these questions, minus the very first one we do, came from those two channels today. And when we got them from both channels, so thanks a lot to everybody who's on our Discord for, for jumping in and giving us questions, because it really makes the show a lot easier when we don't have to just sit here for 20 minutes and just kind of talk about our feet. I mean, oh, I can we haven't do done it. that yet. I'll do it. Don't don't tempt me. I've got a corn. I'll talk about it. But anyway, uh, Joe, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, first one. Here is a question I've been wondering about. Where do all the playable races of Azeroth originate from? I know humans are descendants of the Vykral, but what about the Pandarans and Torrens? Do the trolls have an origin via the Titans or just came to evolve? Jernai, where do they come from? Elves, gnomes, dwarves. Thanks in advance. Floppy Robe. Belf Priest from U.S. Dalaran. I don't know all of these things. Like, we know Draenei come from Argus originally, but we don't know... Since there's, like, there's a Titan facility called Antorus on Argus, was that Titan facility original to Argus? Or was it built by the Legion when they took over Argus? And we know that the, the Atomai crystal that summoned the Naru when, when Velen escaped with his people was ancient, and the Draenei didn't even know where it came from. It was this ancient relic on their planet. Twenty five, And this is 25,000 years ago, this thing was ancient to the point where none of them knew where it came from. And they didn't know that it summoned Anaru. That just happened because Velen was like, I got nothing else. I'll just pray to this thing because I got I literally have no other idea what to do here. And they showed up. So there's a lot of questions that don't have answers here. Uh, trolls, for example, we've always been given the idea that trolls are native to Azeroth, that they evolved there. But we don't know for sure. Like, there's there's nothing in game that currently says trolls are exist because of X. We don't have, like, a, a, a line of descent for trolls. We know that there's, like, troll statues inside Titan facilities. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what that means. It's possible that the Titans experimented on trolls. It's possible they didn't. We know that there are Titan constructs that are shaped like trolls. Yeah. And the uh, Zandalari society seems built around several Titan facilities. Um, uh, what's the name? Dazarlor? Dazarlor. Dazarlor itself is a Titan facility. Oh, dear. Yeah. But no, not not all the Dazarlor itself. I, I know, but I'm saying I'm using it as an example. Aldir, like yeah. where the blood trolls like sat around and worshipped, like and before that, that's where the, the Zandalari moved from that region to Dazarlor, and a long time ago. Mm-hmm. They they moved from what is now Aldir. They 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 abandoned it and moved to Dazarlor. So the, and there's the other one when you go to the desert area. There's a there's more Titan facilities all over the place there. And the trolls clearly knew about them because look at them. Yep. They ins- they've clearly at least inspired troll society. Does that mean that the trolls were experimented on by the Titans? Does that mean the trolls were created by the Titans? Does that mean the trolls are Titan forged as well? I don't know the answer to any of those questions. But we do know where elves come from. Elves are trolls. Yep. And you don't want to tell them that. They don't like that. But if you ever look at the, uh, the Jinyu and then you look at a murloc... Think of that with trolls and elves, and you've got kind of what happened. There was a troll species called the the, the, tro- the dark trolls, and they were kind of different than other trolls. I mean, they were they were huge and imposing, but they didn't necessarily they weren't as aggressive or martial, and they were much more nocturnal. They they were mostly out at night or in, like like to stay in dark places. And there's still a few left. I think there's one left in in Dazarlor. Uh, there's like one dark troll left in Zaralor who's yeah. like, you know, hot. Yeah. It's a curiosity, uh, if anything. They're kept they're kept like a pet almost. But 
the rest of them, like they, they had kind of separated away from troll society while troll society was evolving into what the, the Zandalari empire, the original Zandalari empire, the, the Zandalar lived on what is then, what is now Mount Zandalari Isle, but, but back then was like Mount Zandalar. And everything we see now on Zandalari Isle was basically like the slopes of Mount Zandalar. The dark trolls were like, this place is great. It's a lovely mountain you have, and it's got tons of loa around it, but we're going to go away and, and find our own mountain. And they did. They found Hyjal. And Hyjal had the other spirits that were all around it, and they were like, these guys are cool, and they're, they're ours. And whilst they were atop Hyjal, they somehow made the acquaintance of or became began worshipping a spirit of the moon that seemed to, to, to go into and leave this enormous body of water called the Well of Eternity. And by being exposed to the energies of the Well of Eternity, over time, the Dark Trolls changed. They straightened up. Their tusks reduced down to, to, to canine teeth. They, their ears got even longer. Their, their, their entire physical structure changed in much the way that the Jinyu changed from, from being Murloc-like when they were exposed to the wells of the Vale of Eternal Blossoms, which was you know partially infused with the power of a titan. We know that the Well of Eternity was infused with the power of the titan that we are living on. Uh, in, in When you play World of Warcraft, you live on Azeroth. That's the titan whose power was leaking through the Well of Eternity. And it seems to have changed them into the Night Elves. As for Blood Elves, High Elves, uh, you know, Nightborn, they all come from the original Night Elves. They're just changed by exposure to magic and withdrawal from Night Elf society. The, uh, the, the bargain that the Night Elves made for immortality changed them as well. And even though that's now gone, it, it did have an effect on them and their society. But all those elves are essentially descended from trolls. So that's where, that's where, uh, that's where elves come from. You want to do dwarves, Joe, or do you want to do something else? I mean, dwarves, they... Do you want to, are... like, oh, well, here's the thing. How many of these are we going to try and answer? I, this I, is an open-ended question. So I think, I think you're... We could spend a whole lot of time here. The vast majority of the playable races, at least like dwarves, gnomes, they hail from, like, Titan, the Titan Fords, the Titan Constructed. You know, dwarves from Earthen, gnomes from, essentially, proto-mechanical gnomes, I think, for lack of a better term. Like... Most of the races have some origin with some Titan tampering. I think maybe Pandaren might be the most uh, unknown, I guess. Because <sighs> we still don't really know the Pandaren origins, truly, do we? We have stories, but they not may not be accurate. Yes, no, maybe? What we know for sure is that they might be descended from an ancient, mm -hmm. much of the way that the Furbolg and the uh, Torin are. Where they're related to one of the ancients, but we don't know for sure. Like yeah, we, there's, there's nothing that says we know that they were enslaved by the Mogu, but we don't know where they came from before that. Yeah, and we do know that they, according to the Pandaren's own stories, that they predate the Kaldori and the Furbolg. So, like, possibly the ancient theory is correct, but they're they're probably the most unknown, and we just don't have a solid answer on where they came from. At least not yet. Um. Any other races that really stick out as, like... Well, maybe... I mean, Torin, maybe, right? With the, the Yongal connection? Yeah, Torin come from Yongal. It's implied that the uh, Torin are descended from Neozao. Yeah. Not... Maybe not directly. Like, not Neozao didn't, you know, have a kid or anything. But they exist in relation to Neozao. But it's the same thing with the Furbolgs. 
we don't know necessarily. We know that the Furbolgs are related to Ursok and Ursal, but how do we mean by related? We don't necessarily mean descended. It's not like the Centaur. The Centaur are directly descended from Cenarius. Mm-hmm. One of Cenarius's sons mated with uh, one of the daughters of Therizane, and that's where the Centaurs come from. And of obviously the uh, the I don't want to say not Satyrs. Uh, the oh bloody heck, the Heapers of the Grove. And the nymph, not nymphs. Are they called nymphs in a while? I can't remember. I don't think they are, but I... But you, the, 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 the fawn people, the deer people, they're descended from Cenarius. They're, they're related to Cenarius. But not all of these races can be explained that way, and we don't know enough about a lot of them. Like Murlocs, where no one knows where the Murlocs come from. Yep. Uh, Naga obviously come from elves. You already mentioned, like, I, I want to point out, orcs are descended from the titans, just like dwarves and gnomes and humans. Uh, different titan, but you know, a Titan came along and made a thing, and that thing broke down into smaller things. And eventually, you got the smallest, smartest Titan-created people, the gnomes of Draenor. Yep. The orcs. And I'm not kidding. The orcs are absolutely the gnomes of Draenor. They're the smallest and the smartest beings from that world. Dryads. Thank you, chat. Dryads. Thank you. Yeah. But so, Titan stuff for a lot of it. Curse of Flesh for a lot of the more, like, you know, how they get organic if they were used to be made out of rock and stone and all that. Curse of Flesh, the old gods jumped up through a spanner in the works there. There's at least some sign that the Curse of Flesh is just the old gods activating a change early. Because in the original, um, when you went to Uldaman originally, the, the, the keeper, the lore keeper of Norgana tells you that the, the Titans usually use organic beings. Mm-hmm. So, but that could just be something that was planted by Loken to confuse people. There, there's a, but, Joe's pretty much on the board. There's usually it's Titan related or naturally occurring. Titans all the way down somehow. Even if they're naturally occurring, technically it's a Titan because Azeroth is a Titan. So yeah. <laughs> all right, but I think that I think that's going to answer that one. We could spend a whole lot of time on that, and if that's something you guys want us to explore a little bit more in depth, maybe that becomes right. a future topic oh, for large. Yep. Uh, so throw that in. Send us an email. You know the routine. Um, our next one comes from Theraval. Question for the podcast. I played a lot of Demon Hunter in D3, as well as Wizard. The Rogue and Sorcerer seem like the near analogs in D4. I completely miss D2. Do you think the playstyles are going to be radically different between D3 and D4? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> anyway, next email. No, no. Um, yeah, they're going to be different. Um, it depends... Like, I played, when I played, I played the Barbarian, the Sorceress, and the Druid uh, back in 2019. Now, the game has been in continuous development since then, and it's probably very different now than it was then. But of the three, the Barbarian played the most like what you'd expect, and even it played differently. It, it does feel different. The, the, there's the arsenal system, different attacks use different weapons, they switch on the fly. You know, if you use an, if you use an ability that uses a specific kind of weapon, you just switch to it. There's no, you don't have to pick the weapon. You don't have to switch to the weapon yourself. If you're fighting, you know, you've got a couple, two axes equipped and you're dual wielding and fighting a bunch of guys and then you use an ability that uses a big sword, the big sword just appears. You just draw it and attack with it. So it is different. It still kind of feels like I'm smashing everything because I'm a barbarian, but it, it does feel different. I'm positive the sorceress is not going to feel like the wizard. They, they will, there are, of course, similarities. There are, of course, you know, they're both ranged casters who do magic. But there's, yeah. I definitely feel like what I got from that demo, which again, two years ago, it felt like they were trying to become a little bit more deliberate and a little bit more more Diablo 2-ish. Mm-hmm. 
in how the combat was working. It feels like a hybrid of the two. It, it definitely does not just feel like more Diablo 3. It's different. And again, that's two years ago. I don't have any idea. They've, they've added in the skill trees since. They've done a bunch of different stuff. It's definitely a more elaborate game. Well, yeah, and, and, I I, think and I think that right there, the, the word skill tree differentiates it quite a bit, right? So, like, that in and of itself existing is much more in-depth and potentially much more robust than Diablo 3. Now, it shouldn't be too unfamiliar. Like, it shouldn't be something that you go to play and you have no idea what's going on. But at the same point, you're going to have more options. You're going to have... Uh, the more ability probably to customize your gameplay if the elemental system that they were talking about really is truly goes into effect. Like they've talked about a lot of stuff that make this more heavily into the RPG aspect of it uh, instead of the action aspect of it. Like Diablo 3 was very action oriented. Diablo 4 seems like it's going back to the, the ARPG roots. Like it's, it's bringing it back to D2 just a little. So I, w- I would definitely argue that while it, all Diablo games, it, it's like, no one is ever going to confuse the Diablo franchise for a game that's like, this is not tactical turn-based role-playing. This is run around, click on things with a mouse, and kill it. it it's it's fra- faster-paced, and they're all ultimately mouse-click games. That's, that's what they are, that's what they're trying to be. And this is going to be that too. But it is definitely going, it's veering away from some of the excesses of Diablo 3. It's going in a different direction. Um, so yeah, it will play differently. I don't know I don't think you will have a hard time picking it up if that's what you're worried about. I don't. I didn't feel like, at, like I said, at its heart, Diablo through Diablo in any game, Diablo two, three, four, one, any of them, Diablo Immortal, it's click and kill. That is the that's the heart of it. It then gets more complicated as you you know go through the various options, and I, there are more options now. So yes, it is going to be different. Yes, it will diverge. I still think you'll be able to play it just fine. It's not gonna. It did not feel like it took me any time at all to pick that game up. And I doubt they're going to try and make it so much more complicated. I think that any any new changes that you, you will have to learn and get used to, you will learn and get used to as you play the game. Because remember, you, that's the cool thing about leveling in a game. You, you learn by going. You learn by doing. So I don't think you'll have a problem adapting to the new classes. Anything else to add to that one? Because I don't think there's anything else I want to add. I think, you know, like I said, it, is, it does have the different systems. It does. It is trying for different kinds of things so i do think it will be different okay all right uh our next one comes from riptides short question canonically is najatar fully underwater again with the defeat of nazoth and ashara short answer we don't know i have no idea that's never really addressed because we literally go from dealing with ashara to immediately dealing with nazoth and we're kind of we do that thing that we we do relatively frequently in this game. We deal with the immediate threat and then we forget about the consequences of our actions and move on to the next immediate threat. And it's one of those threads that isn't answered. We know Azara is free because, well, we free her. We don't know the end result after that. We don't know if she uh, seals everything back up because don't forget, she's the one that uh, made that happen, Right. Using the tide stone, which I think we no one gets the tide stone. Correct. You're going through the palace, you don't stop and find the tide stone and take it. And you don't when you defeat Ashara, you just leave immediately. You don't go and find the tide stone. The tide stone is the most powerful artifact that we keep just leaving places. Like the whole reason Ashara had the tide stone was because we used it 
in the temp in the you know temple of Sargeras, the the tomb of Sargeras, the temple of Elun, uh, we used it to open the way, and then we just left it there, and more Naga came up and got it. Yeah, and brought it to her while we were off doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. We didn't, like nobody thought, hey, these four powerful artifacts, the pillars of creation, we should secure these or or take them with us now that we're done here. Except we don't. No, no, we don't. And I mean, I don't know why the Naga didn't take the other three, if or if they did. I they, mean, they might I have. Who have. knows? Yeah, I would have if I were the Naga and I come upon a room with four incredibly powerful Titan creations just sitting there. I wouldn't stop. Well, this is the water one. I'm like, hey, we can control the other stuff, too. What What the heck? Why not? Um, so I don't know. No idea. Yeah, we're, we're, we're terrible. <laughs> well, it's, we it's one of the we are terrible. But I mean, and we always we joke that we answer a lot of the stuff is I don't know. Uh, but you guys ask questions that. Honestly, they some of this stuff they we're wondering about it too because they don't leave exactly. Uh, some of these don't have really good breadcrumbs because I don't think they've really considered it quite yet. We know that Azara is going to come back at some point, or at least we can make that assumption. I think that's a safe assumption. Um, we'll probably wind up dealing with that then. There'll probably be an interlude that tells us here's what happened from the time that you freed me from Nazos Nightmare Realm uh, in his Black Empire and. Now here we are when I'm trying to take over the world again or something like that. There'll be something, or at least I hope there is, because I'm actually very curious. I'm very curious what happens now, because even then, like us as players, we were helping factions inside of Najatar that aren't aligned with Azara, right? Whether it was the, I can't remember what the Alliance side one was. What were the, what was the race? They were like, they were the, they were like the Jinyu, but they, and Cohen, the Ancolor. The Ancoan, and then we're uh, Horde side. You're helping the Giblins, basically. Um, who knows what they were doing? We were gearing them up for for resistance, and at least on the Giblin side, they have a relationship with the uh, the Sea Giants, so they have siege capabilities. And Cohen, thank y'all. Um, so who knows? I but I know I'm I'm letting Vertigree know. Thank you. I can I can do two things. Uh, but yeah. I, I kind of want to know what happens with Najatar and if she seals everything back up or keeps it as it is, which I don't know why she would, I guess, would be the really good question. Like, why would she leave it open? Why not seal ranks and go with whatever she's doing? Oh, that's that's a good point. I don't don't know what she's doing. I mean, for that matter, this is the first time in a long time that Ashara hasn't had to deal with, like, some pesky old god looking over her shoulder going, get me out of this cage already. I mean... If I were her, I you know she's probably advancing some plans right about now. While we're we're on our vacation to the land of the gloomy, mm-hmm. uh, she she's got a pretty free hand to do whatever she feels like doing. And I guarantee she knows what we're doing. Absolutely, she seemed pretty well informed as to what Sylvanas was up to. Oh yeah. All right, I think we can move on to the next one then. Uh, this one comes from Ashen Wings. Question for Blizzard Watch. I'm playing my shaman. Great choice. I absolutely agree that totems feel massively underrepresented. Thinking about it, I feel like there are so many odd shaman abilities that could have been totems, but they decided not to be. For example, Crash Lightning could have been a totem, like Earthquake Totem was. Rip. Uh, Feral Spirit always felt weird to me. Why isn't it just Searing Totem? Uh, Earth and Fire Elemental could have been totems that empower you. Astral Projection is just a single-person Earth Wall Totem. There are so many abilities with such a range of themes, it could easily be centralized as totems. I think part of the issue is we all think of totems as a stationary object on the ground, which can be restrictive. 
My thought is that some totems, like the ones uh, above, rather than being stationary on the ground, could be worn on your back, such as the purchasable totems in High Mountain, and even the acorns and backpacks and wings in Shadowlands. Maybe it's one big totem that lights up different abilities to activate. Another idea would be that they stayed small but floated around your character similar to the Demonology Legion artifact weapon. What do you think? Would this be too big a change, or maybe it'd help restore some coherent fantasy to the class? Thanks for reading. Fun fact! Many, many years ago, Blizzard actually had this idea of using the Relic Spot to do something kind of similar to this idea. Uh, so back in the olden days of the Vanilla WoW, uh, there was a slot for Librams and a Totemic Focus for Paladins and Shaman, respectively. And every class had like a special sort of like equipment slot that they could use. I, I think it was every class. There might have been some that didn't. I, I don't remember. Oh. Uh, warriors, hunters used a ranged weapon slot. Okay. So they had like a bow. Yeah, or a that's right, that's weapon. right. And and even though rogues and warriors didn't really use ranged weapons very often, you still stats. had them. And they asked, yeah, they, they added stats. There was like a bow that dropped uh, for like killing the Thanos Maros that a lot of people got because it had like strength and stamina on it. So, and there, there were other, like they were, they were actually considered like warrior bows. And, and obviously, hunters used ranger weapons. I mean, hunter weapons because they they also wanted agi. So, yeah. yeah. But the idea originally at one point was to have you go and get uh, a relic, right? You would get a relic, and it would modify how your spells interacted with you casting them. Um, they it was one of those things that uh, you could like if you had a totem that it would you would basically do exactly what you're saying. You'd have some representation, whether it was the totem floating or you uh, raising it up or something. It would integrate with your spell effects. Uh, with the Librum, it was you would open up the, the Librum and cast from it. And there was actually, at a BlizzCon, they showed a whole bunch of key art for it at the same time, where it was like, here are things we're going to do to bring back the, some of this class fantasy. And then they just never did. Um, I forgot the exact reasoning. I think it had to do with just going in a different design direction which makes sense but it was just it was basically this and i think some of what you're saying is really good and i'm not saying this just because i want more totems but some of it does make uh sense to not be a totem uh earth and fire elemental used to be totems they they literally used to be totems you would throw on the ground um they're not anymore they're summons which is completely different but better i think because they follow you now they don't have a range um crash lightning it feels like summoning lightning, so maybe a totem makes sense if you're throwing it down at a specific spot, but not necessarily uh, a thing that you would normally associate with a totem. But there are a lot of other stuff, like you're saying astral projection and things like that, that could have the sort of those anchors or ties. Honestly, I would not be upset if they did something to bring some of those back, or at least uh, update some of the Cassian animations to include some of them. Sorry, it's Shaman. I get really excited about it. Ashen Wings knows my 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 soft spot here because it's totems. Why do you and... keep apologizing for doing your job? It's fine. Because <laughs> I'm like you. I feel like sometimes I just feel like I talk too much. I just get weird. It's fine. But what do you what fine. do you think? Would you would you like more totems, Rossi? I mean, you know, I I, I when I just logged on the Shaman. I literally just created so people could see the relic slot. Um, so if you're watching the stream, you can see the relic shot slot on this character. I've got it mouse over. Um, I, I mean, I'm used. Uh, I played a shaman when totems were the the big thing. They were yep. a big, um, and I liked the idea that you could have four totems up that provided four benefits, but they were stationary and there was some gameplay involved in it. 
I don't necessarily want to lose that if I want to bring that back, not get rid of it. That being said, I don't mind the idea of possibly a wearable totem or a couple of totems that might orbit around you. That's that's not horrible. I don't know if the orbiting totems idea necessarily feels very shaman-y. So I, I like, would I can make a, I can make an argument for this based off the fact that you're Drenai. I could totally see like a thing like we were talking about in the pre-show, like Ion Stones having sort of that same totemic focus. Because like the 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 totems for Drenai look like uh, almost like psychic crystals to me at least. They look they look sort of like that that crystalline technology, uh, not hand carved like the Torrent totems at the time. So I I, I don't know. It depends, it depends. But one of the things I am thinking is that in general, one of the, one of the things that comes to mind for me for totems, if you wanted to make totems be a, a more thing, a more often used thing, is. I mean, there really is no reason you couldn't have totems be like a cosmetic effect of spells. Mm-hmm. Like with Crash Lightning, you could summon a giant totem that just blasts lightning down onto the ground. Like it could fall from the sky. Like imagine if like a totem fell from the sky and smashed down and then lightning oh, yes, please. out of it. You could do that. You could have your fire elemental totem, you, you know, fire elemental summon, you throw a totem down, the totem is there and then bursts into flames and then the, the fire elemental is the flames and it consumes the totem and then, you know, follows you around. I don't know why they haven't tried more of that. Like, there, there's there's no reason you can't have totems be part of these things. You know, I, I just, the assets are in the game. It's not like you have to make a whole bunch of new totems. So I don't, I don't get the reluctance. It does feel like they're reluctant to, Maybe because, again, there is that whole... Totems were very powerful. They were. Shotum totems were very powerful, but they were stationary, so they were incredibly dependent. Which made it balanced. And then when they allowed you to do things like move them with the... uh, I used to call it the shotgun effect, um, but you used to be able to reposition your totems every 45 seconds with a a class ability that they introduced. I want to say Cataclysm. Yeah, um, I remember it. Yeah. You basically would hit a button and all your totems would just go whoop. To the new location, yeah. yeah. They would um, just come up around you. To- totemic projection. It was a, a, a actual talent you took, but like once they started doing that, then you started seeing them pair back the totems because it no longer had the limiting factor of being positional. Uh, I actually remember uh, writing an article for the old site way back in the day when, as a shaman, you had a very hard time figuring out who was in your totemic circles and where to put them. And that was a key part of being that player, uh, being a good shaman player of any flavor. And there were add-ons that people made that did augmented reality that would actually show you in the game. It would produce circles that would show you where the area effect of your totems ended. Uh, and I remember writing an article about it and pointing that out, and it was super, super good. And then a month later, they patched it out of the game of being something capable. It was the death knell, or the, the beginning of the uh, the dying of the, the totems, as far as I'm concerned, right at that moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think that, if nothing else, you could bring totems back in a cosmetic role if you don't want sure. to actually be useful. But I, I definitely would like to see totems get used more. Um, and I don't, I don't hate the idea of big wearable totems just because big wearable totems are cool. Uh, but I could be convinced on the orbiting totems if they were like specific totems. Like I honestly feel like air totems that would make sense. I can see because, water totems too. Yeah, maybe. But air totems, I could definitely see. Maybe maybe that's a thing. Like you could specialize in a talent that would allow one of your four kinds of totems to basically be fo- to, to orbit around you. And then you'd have to pick: Do I want to have a fire totem orbiting me? Do I want to have a, an earth totem? Well, earth totems feel like the one that couldn't do it. 
Yeah. Earth totem feels really weird if that thing's not rooted in the ground. Oh yeah. But you know, that that's my take on it for right now. Yeah, I it's one of those things and and I'll move on after this. I do hope that at some point, maybe if they're not doing allied races anytime soon, that they take a look at some of the Cassian animations again. And I think it's been a hot minute since they updated it. I wanna say Mists was the last time they updated animations really for Cassian spells. They did they did some updates much more recently than that. Did they? Yeah, they did some in Legion. They did some in Battle for Azeroth. So maybe they do another another smaller round of them. Maybe they keep releasing them in small clumps. Uh, but maybe take a look at Shaman and, at some point and say, hey, how do we make it feel more shaman And I'd be happy with it. Um, but of course, I'm selfish and love Shaman. So. Uh, but we can move on. Our next question comes from our good friend Tetsemi. Uh, question for Blizzard Watch. Game mechanics with the stated goal of removing borrowed power next expansion. What does that look like? I believe one of Rossi's biggest gripes about Wrath was the gear escalation issue during the expansion. What do you replace a borrowed system with? Do you build a bigger system that tied to overall character levels regardless of expansion? Follow-up question. Uh, in Legion, the borrowed power was tied to our weapon. Once you're out of that expansion, that system really falls down as someone uh, falls down as someone leveling through won't spend enough time in the system to gain all the powers. How do you balance time spent in an expansion with that power gain? I'll let you go first since you were called out specifically for your opinion on uh, on Wrath Gear Escalation, which I remember you being very upset about. Oh, yeah. The, the idea of the way gear went in Wrath. I mean, I remember writing about this before in terms of like the difference between gear in vanilla versus Burning Crusade. And in Burning Crusade, you, you, you had a relatively straightforward power curve where the power of the items went up in a predictable and relatively easy to, to grasp manner where you could look at gear from Black Temple and you could see, okay, this is this much better than gear from um, Tempest Keep and Serpent Shrine. And you look at Sunwell gear and it's like, this is better than gear from Black Temple, but it doesn't blow it out of the water. And the power increases were, I don't want to say incremental, because, I mean, we, we definitely had problems, like, for instance, tanking druids getting nerfed by Sunwell Radiance because nothing could hit them. Like... If if they hadn't put Sunwell Radiance in, tanking druids in Sunwell would have just been like never getting hit. Mm-hmm. Had so much dodge, like things would be like swinging, 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 and this bear is just not getting hit. And it's one of the like making bear druids use dodge as their main tanking stat. It's one of the most strange things you think about. That's a giant bear. <laughs> You're telling me you can't hit a bear, but you can hit that blood elf paladin next to him. Oh yeah, who's, clearly. Like, a tenth of his size? So, yeah, the, the power curve was, was more predictable in, in Burning Crusade, and I stand by that. Um, that. That Wrath, because Wrath had so many heroic modes and, you know, hard modes and, you know, tiers of, like, a 10-man and 25-man, and it just, it got ridiculous. The the gear escalation was, was crazy by the end. That being said, I don't know that that really has anything to do with a borrowed power system in terms of ease of balancing it. The, re- the problem you're predicting, the, p- the problem you've really pointed out, which I think is the real problem, is that once you move past that expansion, using Legion as your example, since you did, the artifact does not hold up. Like, if you if you go right now and you level in Legion, you go from, like, 10 to 50 in Legion, you're almost better off going to some other expansion and getting a weapon there. Because the artifact starts off at, like, round... Like, it, it just starts off weak, and the relics that would power it up you're not going to get any good ones. You're just going to get green ones. And they're not going to really do much. You, you'll Seriously, it's better to take a break and not bother with your artifact and go 
to another expansion to get a weapon when you like as you hit levels. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm level forty now. Okay, I'm gonna take a, like I'm, I'm gonna go back to Stormwind and have Chromie, uh, you know, send me to to Burning Crusade for a little bit, and I'll get like the first green weapon that they give you as a quest reward, and then I'll come back and it'll be significantly better than my artifact. So that is a problem, and I think. By not having borrowed power systems, you don't have that problem anymore. So that's a good thing. I don't know how to fix that for older expansions. I think the only way I can really think to fix it would be to just let the artifact be stronger. Um, But people kind of don't want to do that, so I I don't know. I I don't know how to fix the experience of leveling in Legion and constantly feeling like i got to go somewhere else to get a weapon because this is ridiculous. Uh, I've gotten, like, nothing, nothing to upgrade my weapon. I can't... You, you won't even get the third relic slot. Yep, you can't. You're not there long yeah. enough. Yeah, you're not going to be there long enough. So possibly just to have the third relic slot be unlocked from the get-go, possibly just have good relics drop and, and let people upgrade their weapon and not worry so much about it. Those are possibilities. In terms of what to do the next expansion instead of a borrowed power system, I honestly feel like just don't have a borrowed power system. It doesn't, we don't need to have one. We don't need to have, we've, we've been doing this at this point. We've been doing this since, you know, Warlords of Draenor in a way. Because in Warlords of Draenor, the garrison was essentially your artifact. Yep. It was, it was the way you, you, you gained the mission table. It gave you, like, you know, missions and stuff. It, it was a way to get power. It wasn't as straightforward, but it, it was still this, this progression system that you had. That's the thing about borrowed power systems. It's not just that they make you stronger. They're a progression system. When you hit level 60 in Shadowlands, you stop leveling in terms of your character's level, but you never stop leveling. We've just turned leveling into something you do in a different way. So you, now it's your renown level. You're, you're working on your renown. You're getting your renown up. You're leveling it. It's still just leveling. That's all it is. It's just taking leveling and putting it into endgame. World of Warcraft, over the past several years has become a game where you literally never stop leveling yeah uh, before i get in is there anything else you want to add to that thought i got more but go ahead and talk for a bit you're you're right and that this is something that i've i've been thinking about for a long time because i don't know if there's an elegant solution because the whole reason this was put in place to begin with was to give players something to keep working towards uh and what almost like a meaningful way. I'm not saying that they're successful or not, but this is sort of the idea behind it. Um, when you hit your level cap, right? You, you don't earn anything more unless you're grinding rep for shiny objects or raiding or doing content to get gear. And that's it. That's what the game was originally. That's what the game was for a very long time until the borrowed powered system really started being a thing. And WoW's not the only game to do this. A lot of games actually do this. Is that when you reach maximum level, there are things to earn, whether it's prestige levels or uh, extra things to, to give you reward for your time. The problem is finding something that doesn't alienate players but still makes them feel rewarded for their time. I don't think they found that balance yet, and I don't think the powered the the powered power system is exactly what they want it to be yet as you can see they keep making adjustments to it but there is a way to fix it in the past and to go back to like what matt was saying about like the legion artifacts and what you were bringing up with the legion artifacts the way you solve that is and i don't know the level of effort on this this is me with my i'm not a game dev hat on what in what if instead 
you went back and tied that system to leveling again. At certain levels, things just became unlocked, whether it was, uh, I'll use the artifact weapons, relics or slots or whatever. It wasn't artifact power that you gained. It wasn't things you did anymore because that's no longer the point of that content. It's just, oh, I hit level 51, I get this. I hit level 52, I get this. It's how it used to be back in the day anyway with talents and skill points and, and other stuff. Just do that again. Just let it be automatically unlocked and let it be something that players don't have to worry about. This way, your older system doesn't matter anymore. Nobody complains about it. It's not a thing you have to worry about balancing. You just bake into the fact that it gets them, it gets you through from point A to point B so you can go to the current content. Because that's all it is right now. That's what the leveling experience has basically become. That's what their ability to choose a expansion and level through it is supposed to be. Uh, you're supposed to, to have as coherent of an experience without spending all of your time there. Because the goal is to get you into the current expansion. That That's it. The goal is to get you there. Um, and again, I'm not opposed to a borrowed power system. But there might be a better way to do it where it doesn't feel grindy. It doesn't feel endless. It doesn't feel like the treadmill of just constantly burning in place. And I don't know the solution to that particular part of the problem. And I think that is something that I don't know if anybody knows the solution to. Because, again, you also have to keep in mind that this is being strapped on the game that is just ancient at this point, right? Like, an MMO existing for 16-plus years, going through as many changes as it has... It's relatively unheard of. There's not many that can say that they've lasted that long. So every new... What's that? Quest, uh, I think one of the... I want to say... No, Asheron's Call. Is Asheron's Call still around? No, I think Asheron's Call's down. Like, that's down Um, a while ago. But EverQuest... The the Ultima game, the the Ultima was around for a long time. Yeah. But it's it's a rarity. It's not the norm. Yeah. Right? So finding a way that keeps up with modern gaming and modern gaming sensibilities is difficult and trying to find a way to let players feel rewarded without feeling super grindy is not easy. Uh, I don't know if I have a solution to that particular problem, but I think, I think Matt's on the right track with the past, the past issues. Once you move, once you move past the borrowed power system, either just open everything up or you have breakpoints where certain things become available in a manner conducive to getting the person through that content. You said you had more to say about it. So I have more I could say, but uh, I'll basically just say that I think that e- e- once you look at the fact that this is basically just projecting leveling forward, uh, it starts to suggest ways that you could alter the approach to it. And one idea is that rather than a borrowed power system existing as a borrowed power system, you could have something be a permanent addition to the game. Like, imagine if we still were using artifacts, and when weapons dropped in raids, they'd be artifacts. And, you know, artifact, they might be new skins or they might be a completely new artifact that people could use. That's one possibility that they could have gone with. I don't think that it's going to happen or should happen at this point. But you could design... Remember Path of the Titans? Mm-hmm. Which the artifact ended up looking a lot like. They could devise a system like Path of the Titans and it would be evergreen. It would be forever. Like, this expansion, you'll be doing it and then you'll do it in the next expansion. Well, they'll keep doing it. And I... I don't know that that ultimately people will eventually, like, that system might just go away, like runes did. But the problem people have with borrowed power systems right now is that they they're, they only last an expansion, so they feel completely useless. They feel pointless. And you spend Once, so much time putting t- investment into them. 
Yeah, and then there's nothing. They leave you nothing. And I think that if if you're going to do a system like that, maybe it is actually something that you should keep around, that it should be a permanent addition. For all that we've you know talked about how weird it is that the mission table hasn't gone anywhere and we keep having new mission tables, that actually might be something they should look at for whatever they do next. That if you're going to come up with a system where people get stronger in different ways, maybe it should stick around. Maybe it should be designed with the idea that this is a permanent addition to the game and not just... Because the thing they were trying to do originally was, well, this will be cool for this expansion, but then we won't, you know, we won't have to worry about balancing it for the future. Maybe that should be something that's that people worry about. Because whilst you gain the, you gain the advantage of not having to balance it for the future, you also gain the problem of people feeling like their time and effort is not respected. Yeah, and you don't want that. And I know that that's not what Blizzard was going for, but it is still a feeling that a lot of people have, and that to me suggests that a slightly different approach might be in order. But that's that's pretty... We could talk about this one forever, but we do have other questions. So. We do. Uh, which is funnily enough, because our next one is also from Tetsemi. <laughs> question for Blizzard Watch. Creating, uh, creating more would lead to more balanced nightmares, but setting that aside, in the idea of covenant abilities being different for each class, what do you think of racials being themed to be more aligned with the class you took? Blood Fury makes sense for an orc warrior, but maybe something more like arcane affinity for an orc mage, or fell affliction for an orc warlock. Something to give a little more flavor to the race-class combination. Personally? I, sorry, go ahead. I'm just going to say straight up, I want them to rip all the racials out of WoW by the roots and mm. never speak them again. You and I are about to say the same thing at the same time, and that is really eerie. Yeah, just racials are an antiquated holdover from a time when they were trying to put D&D into a video. And it's an old idea that even D&D is getting it. I don't think they're useful anymore. I think racials, I think picking your race should just be choosing the aesthetic you like. And that's it. I mean, I would miss a lot of them. And I think maybe some of them should be preserved as talents you could take. Sure. and But... Like, for instance, Gift of the Naru that this Naru has. I like Gift of the Naru. I mean, this, this Draenei, sorry, he's not a Naru. Playing as a Naru would be cool. Um, but, yeah, I, there's some things I would really miss. But at the end of the day, balancing racials has been one of the ongoing like plagues of World of Warcraft. And it, it doesn't really... All that ends up happening is you... I remember getting pressured really hard back in, in Wrath to change my tank's race. Yeah. Because Night Elves have quickness. That was free dodge. Yeah, it was a 1% free dodge, which meant I could gear up and push do and basically push critical hits completely off the table much more easily than any other tank. So during the Anubarak fight, I would basically just be parked on Anubarak and because it would just be he couldn't kill me and nobody else could do it. It required such a level of gear to do it for them that extra 1%. It was Better for our guild's attempts on Heroic Anubarak 25 that I be a Night Elf. And that's, I don't ever want that. If Rachel's were something like, you know, can speak a cool language and gets a special pet, I'd be fine with them. Like, you know, every every Night Elf gets a Sprite Darter. Okay, sure, that's cool, and, and it doesn't affect the gameplay. But the various Rachel's they get actually do affect gameplay. Look at, like, the, the years and years of people hating on Forsaken and, and humans in PvP. Look at how people absolutely loathed Blood Elves in PvP. Arranged silence? People hated that. Oh, yeah. Um, and and it just... I don't want them to make more, even more complex racials that interact. Like, oh my god, 
the 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 amount of spreadsheeting you're going to see as people work out the exact best warrior or the exact best mage or the exact best paladin class. We're just going to be back to classic and burning crusade again. In ba- classic and burning crusade, you could still get away with playing like you know, but people still did it. Right, they like, did it. They didn't spreadsheet it to the, like the level they would once this comes out. This sure. this is going to take it to like, I mean, I'm not going to tell dwarf dwarf priests that they had an option. Like, you were- <laughs> as as Epic Lurker points out, rep grinding coming. Uh, maybe we should switch to a human for that racial bonus. Yeah, they like, did. They oh, people yeah, did that. Absolutely. People absolutely did that. And that's back. Keep in mind in, that in vanilla and BC, switching to a human meant rolling a new character. And people did it. Uh-huh. And and they were rewarded for it because humans' rep bonus was nothing to be ignored. When you when you had to get somebody to exalted with the Timber Maw as fast as possible to get some stupid enchant, you wanted a human doing it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't want to see any more complexity added to the racial system. Straight up. Nope. I want it gone. I want anything that is meaningful for character power taken out of that thing. And I and I agree. And it's and this is as somebody who at several points have been pressured to play other races for what I was doing based on the faction I was playing because healers got that too. It wasn't just tanks. DPS got that too. It wasn't. It, you know, totally. I, it, it was all about that min maxing life for a lot of a lot of guilds. Like, and I played in a not a world first guild, but a server first pushing guild back in those days. And every little bit of optimization mattered. And you felt the pressure for it. I think racials, if they ever exist in this game or are allowed to continue to exist, should be fun and flavorful and cosmetic. And that's it. There should be no player power associated with it whatsoever. Being able to summon a talking head because you happen to be uh, forsaken. Sure. Okay, that's fine. Uh, being able to heal 1% better than the next race over from you, probably not a good idea. Having 1% or having a certain amount of mana more than another race as a healer, because that's a thing that happened, uh, shouldn't be a thing that happens. 1% more health? Yeah, 1% more health. Or the dwarves had the ability to drop poison and disease and reduce incoming damage. Stoneform was amazing. Yeah, it's another cooldown. It's divorce it from player power, divorce it from the necessity for min-maxing by removing player power, and I think they're fine to stick around again as flavorful things, but otherwise it needs to no longer be a thing. Sylvie also agrees with us. Uh, That's a little. Sylvie Sylvie is over the rainbow bridge, sir. Sorry, I forgot. I feel like a bad person, but I'm going to just assume that she reached down from heaven and said, hey, make sure to bark. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so... I don't know. And I get it. Some people are really into racials and they, they like it and they like what they bring, but I barely use mine. And the Volpera one, like, I use the one that lets me get home. That's it. I, I use the, the base camp one because it's funny and fun and it's useful for travel. But yeah, I don't know. Anything else to add to that? No, I covered it. All right. Do you want to do one more or do you want to call it for that one? Because we're really close. Find one that is there one that's relatively quick. I think the last ones are well. Let's see. This one might be quick. Uh, this one's from Yarek. Uh, listening to episode three twenty of the Blizzard Watch podcast, so I have a question of 
for the Blizzard Watch podcast. Instead of adding a new class like Dark Ranger or Shadow Hunter, why don't we have a specific flavor? Instead, Troll Hunters do a quest for Shadow Hunter Transmog. Undead Hunters get Dark Ranger Transmog quests. Night Elf Rogues get the Sentinel Transmog, etc. Wouldn't it be less difficult for Blizzard to bring back Legion-style class quests with a Heritage Armor set type of reward? Even better, it's completely optional and has minimal impact on the game. Yes, I would be absolutely for this. We've talked about well, st- stuff like this in the past a little bit. Yeah, I will point out that when you say it will be less difficult, yes and no. I mean, they are talking about art assets. It just won't require so, game balancing. Yeah, some of those art assets don't exist and will have to be made. That's time. That's effort. Sure, they will then have to be. You know, so so let's not let's not forget that when we talk about this. Would I like that? Absolutely. I would like that. We've talked about it before in terms of cosmetic abilities and so forth. So having it be like, you know, trolls can get a special shadow hunter, troll hunter, Cosmo, you know, that would be cool. I would be totally down for that. Maybe we've already got various racial, like, transmog sets, you know, like the, the dwarf armor one, the gnome armor one, the tauren one. And those are just for anybody who's in that, that race. Anybody who's a tauren can get the tauren set. I think it would be cool if there was a specific Torin, you know, high chieftain set that, like, you know, a warrior could get, or like the sh- a Torin shaman could get a set with a big totem on its back and so forth. Uh, there, there's, I, I'd be totally down for it. Yeah, absolutely. But keeping in mind that this is not the kind of thing that they're going to be able to throw uh, 36 class because we're not we're talking like, well, not 36. Yeah, actually, no, because we got no because that's specs. There's 12 oh, classes, 12 classes. But then there's how many races? Oh, God. So you're going to have to multiply by, you know, not every race is going to get every class. You're not going to, like, you know, there's there's certain classes that don't have a specific thing like that. But you'd probably want to give everybody at least one. Like, you'd want to have a Draenei Paladin set, a Vindicator set. Um, humans, probably like a Knight set for Warriors. Uh, or a Kirin Tor set for Mages. Um, for blood elves, well, I could see mages or hunters for them. There's there's a few possibilities for them actually. Night elves, like you mentioned, rogues. You're gonna probably want a druid one as well. So so there there'd be a lot of work to do it, but I do think it would be very cool. I do th- do think it would be nice to have that kind of variation. Maybe they get a transmog set and they get something else. I don't know. Yeah, and and. I think in Yerick's defense, they didn't say that it would be super easy. They said less difficult. And from an aspect of class balancing, sure. Like, you wouldn't have to, to yeah, have stat balancing balance. or game balance things. It would be purely cosmetic. But Matt's right. It, it does take time and effort and does require art assets to be created. Not a bad thing. Um, but just they, we don't want, we want to make sure that we call out that it's not a effortless endeavor. So, but again, I think it's a good idea. I think having something like that, I like the heritage armor doing something like that, that calls back to some of the other like iconic classes from the game's history. I don't think would be a terrible idea. So, but I think that's going to do it for us. Blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contribution at patreoncom slash blizzard watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance of having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads-free site experience. Hey, guys. Again, thank you very much uh, for sending in your questions. We, we have a few left over that will roll forward, um, which is great. That is so great when that happens. Trust me, we love that. Uh, if you have a question for the show, 
please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch. Or, again, you can hit up our Discord. We've got two channels, the Patreon Q, uh, Q and Podcast Questions channel and the Q Questions channel, both of which we, we took questions from this week. Um, on behalf of Joe and myself, I want to thank you guys for being here with us. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and uh, we'll be here next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.